Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. And today we're going to be talking about should women pastor churches. And joining me in this conversation, I have several of our hosts today. Uh, I have with me Jaron, Neil, Chris, and Matthew. So thanks, guys, for being on here with us. Glad to be here. All right, guys, I'm going to I'm going to cut right into this real quick. This is a in my opinion, this is an issue that has been settled in Baptist life for some time, but it has roared its head up in the past week. Now, you can reference, and I'm going to put in the show notes here, a couple of articles if you'd like to read more about this. Recently, Saddleback ordained um, t- three women as pastors of their church, which opened a discussion in the SBC about women pastoring churches. Uh, if you are a, a history of recent Southern Baptist history, you will know that it was actually the issue of women pastors that kind of was one of the big issues that sparked the conservative resurgence. And this is not a podcast on the conservative resurgence, but what they found back in uh, the time that there was arguments being made for women to pastor churches is not very many Southern Baptist churches were willing to call a marginal number were willing to call women as pastors. And this sparked a kind of investigation and, you know, grassroots movement to what became known as the conservative resurgence. Uh, This is an issue that has very clearly addressed in the Baptist faith and message 2000, which we would argue is the threshold document to be a, a Baptist church that is cooperating in good standing with the convention, with our denomination. And it is very clearly spelled out in the Baptist faith and message, which will also be in the show notes today that this is an office reserved for men. So let's first dive into the question here. Um, Why is there such a firm stance on men holding this position? Because no doubt Many in the world may look in on this issue that's an internal issue in the SBC and see people who are holding to a uh, biblical definition as being kind of the, the, the villains and Saddleback being this church of 53,000 people, the mega of mega churches in the convention, as being the hero. But, you know, Rick Warren, if you're not familiar with him, he's the one that pastors there. He wrote Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Life. This is a big issue because I would say that in most of the churches we pastor, you're going to be able to find a copy of either a Purpose Driven Life or Purpose Driven Church, which those have problematic issues that we may address in this as well. But uh, let's, let's just kind of get into it. Brothers, share with me, first and foremost, what does the Bible say about the office of pastor and its requirements. Well, I think when we go and look in the Bible, we see that when it comes to the qualification of elder, overseer, uh, pastor, that this is an office, according to the word of God, that is reserved for men um, as the figure in which that is the office they're supposed to hold. You can look in first second timothy or titus to see examples of god wanting and desiring that to be the 
the office and the gender that is held in that position. Yeah, I think when you look at what Paul says uh, to Timothy, um, it, it makes it clear on just a, a plain reading of the text that qualified men are the ones intended to hold that position position in the church. So it's not just an issue of of you know it's it's men versus women. It's got to be the right kind of men, and so um, we want to say that to whatever extent Paul. Um, gives qualifications, we want to be on board with him. And so that's not only in terms of, you know, men versus women, that's in terms of the right type of man, the right type of character, the right type of model and example for the church. So um, if we don't want to undermine our credibility in this issue, we've got to make sure that we're also clear about it being the right, the right kind of man, not just a man. Um, But on the plain reading, that does seem to be part of what he says. And I've I've read like probably you have some of the commentaries that deal with some of the linguistic issues and try to make the case that this was just a a cultural issue in in Paul's day or something that was more specific to the congregations they were trying to lead in the first century. And so it's maybe not as applicable today, Uh, but I've just not ever really been convinced uh, by those arguments. I think the way Paul ties it to creation specifically uh, makes it a more broad requirements. So uh, maybe we'll get into some of the specifics of that passage here in just a little while. I don't know whatever uh, you guys have to say about it. Let's look at some of the specifics that you brought up, Chris. Um, You can find the the Bible passages that deal directly with uh, the qualifications for a pastor or somebody. Uh, The the word in the Greek there that we're going to, that you're going to see is going to be similar for overseer or bishop or any of those things. And um, we're going to see a section where it's dealt with in first Timothy three and also in Titus one. And so uh, Neil, are you already there? Have you got that passage? Yeah, I've got the first Timothy passage. Go ahead and read that for us. So uh, this is chapter two, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for Adam was formed first then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Neil, tell us, unpack this verse for us a little bit. What is Paul telling us here? What's the instruction? Well, you know, I actually, I, I was really helped by a short book that Kathy Keller wrote on this same subject. And she, her experience was that she was actually, during her seminary days, brought into a kind of a committee that was meant to sort of address these passages and give a defense for women in ministry. And, and, and in her study of the passage found that, there was just not a, a position that took seriously the inerrancy of the word and handled these positions or handled these texts in a way that could lead to affirming women be in ministry. So, so really the, the issues in question are this, Paul either gives one or two directives. So Kathy Keller, she interprets this as to be saying, I do not permit a woman to authoritatively teach um, in the church. And, and so she kind of interprets it through the lens of saying that 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 any type of authoritative teaching and those who are in a position to teach authoritatively, that is the elders of the church, th- those roles are specifically kind of reserved for men. Um, you may interpret this to say, again, the, the two different ways as the ESV interprets it, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. And as you alluded to, there's some there's some frame of reference to the same language that's going to be used for overseer there. 
So I, I think in essence, what, what, sh- what he is trying to get at in the passage is, is simply to say that, that he wants to sort of demonstrate God's created order um, that he established at creation in the way the church operates, which, which means he wants women to, to exercise submission to men and, and, and sit under their teaching, authoritative teaching of the word. No, that's good. Uh, let's let's look at this and see it as well in the uh, the Titus. We looked at the Titus passage. Let's look at the First Timothy three section. Has anybody got that one handy? Yeah, I can, I can read it uh, from the CSB if that's all right. If y'all are okay with that version? You're good. <laughs> uh, so First Timothy three one through seven. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap. So, as I said earlier, there's quite quite a few qualifications there that um, that apply to, to even men. So it's not just a matter of it has to be a man and not a woman. It has to be the right type of person. And one of the qualifications listed there uh, is that he must be able to teach. Later on, Paul tells Timothy about the the importance of the ministry of the word and preaching the word in season and out of season, uh, just the importance of uh, teaching and preaching. So then you go back to, to what Neil read earlier. Um, and he says he doesn't allow a woman to teach or to have authority. It, it just seems like it'd be fairly difficult for a woman to, to have that role in the church if they're not supposed to do those things. So uh, again, plain reading is, it's just, you know, it's hard to make sense of some of these things unless you're just willing to say what some people don't want to be said. Well, and let's let's get behind this. Uh, those are excellent points you've made, Chris. We on Molers, uh, you know, I don't know if how many people listen to the briefing. I'm a regular listener and fan of the briefing with Dr. Moeller. He made a very important point here. What is driving this desire to see women in the pulpit? Uh, I'll, I'm going to confess something on here that I may not have uh, confessed before in the past, but I used to hold an egalitarian position. So we're, as you know, in, in the SBC, we're known and established to be complementarians. The difference between those two things being the egalitarian believed that uh, men and women are created equal. Therefore, men and women can do interchangeable jobs. Whatever men can do, women can do, whatever. And then in a complementarian position, men and women are created equal, but God made them for different roles and, and specified that there's a created order to that. And I've changed positions to a complementary position personally. And it came down to this for me as I was thinking through this. And if we ask the question, can a woman do pastoral care? Sure, right? A woman can do that. I mean, I would even argue some women are better at it than most of us. Like going in 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 particular scenarios, like in a widow scenario or different things like that, a woman would probably be better at pastoral care. Uh, can a woman exegete scripture? Can she sit down with the Greek and the Hebrew and, and hewn out the meaning of a text? Yes, yes she can. Yes. Right? Some of the best articles I've ever read on uh, the passage were 
Jesus and Nicodemus are discussing what it means to be born again. A woman wrote that that passage, uh, an academic article that was very helpful to me. So, you know, yeah, they can do, they can exegete scripture. Can a woman get up and speak to a group and help them understand the rendered meaning of the text in a forceful kind of preachy way? Yes, I think they can do that. They have an ability to do that. But the issue is not, can they do it? The issue is, should they do it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a significant difference in there. They, are, they have the ability. They have every ability that we have to do it. But then the question becomes, why, right? In the passage that you read, Neil, something emerged in that text. And the thing that emerged in that text was this. There is a created order that is being pulled at there, right, Neil? I think it, it yeah. made a, a tie all the way back to creation, we need to talk and think about that for just a minute. Um, there is authority structures that is here. Do we see this in the home? Are there authority structures in the home? Yes. I think the answer is there. Uh, so for me, what landed the plane was, as Chris pointed out a minute ago, no matter what kind of theological gymnastics you do, getting around Titus and getting around First Timothy 3, it's nearly impossible. The most plain reading of the text is what God's desire is. Do you brothers agree or expand on that? I would agree with that. And I, you know, I think that's part of the issue that we see today is some people view the Bible as the final authority in which they operate their worldview from. And some people use the Bible and things they don't like, they want to take or change. And they want to look at, well, look at the culture of it. Look at what was going on at that time period. And I, I think that's a dangerous slope for people to walk now. We can't go back and, change people's thoughts and read people's thoughts from 200 years ago we can read what they wrote but we can't change the intent of it like we can't go back and and look at the declaration of independence or go back and look at whatever we want to look at and say well in light of 2021 we know that things are different now and so you know he wouldn't have wrote this this way if he lived in this time period and you have to look at what they said and just go with what they said and I, i think for us as southern baptist and um, we believe that every word of the Bible is written by God um, for his people. It's without error. It is without contradiction. It is infallible. It is perfect. And because of that, that, that settles the discussion of the way we interpret it. Like we take it literal. Like we, we take it the way that it's written and we run with it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, that should settle enough. If, if God's word says it, though our hearts may wrestle with it, maybe our hearts have a hard time with it. It's not God's word that we have a problem with. It's our sin nature. I think there there are other types of arguments that people might try to make. Um, you know, there's certainly a, an emotional appeal, or um, you know, to use Travis's language, egalitarian or, or an equality type argument to be made. I think sometimes it's just pragmatic. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was probably fifth or sixth grade, and I went to uh, function at a friend's church. And I don't even remember what it was, some sort of kids ministry thing. And and I remember they had a, a woman serving as pastor there. And that was like the first time I'd ever seen that growing up a conservative Southern Baptist church. And and I was like, what is happening here? This is really weird. I didn't know anything about the arguments, you know, on either side of it. But I knew that wouldn't have gone over at my church. And so I remember saying something to my friend, like, you guys have 
a lady pastor what's up with that and he's like well she does a good job like why does it matter she does you know she does what we needed to do she preaches and she she helps us and she visits and so why does it matter and and i remember um years later when i was at college in a new testament class i still working through some of these issues in my own mind I, I mentioned that story to my new testament professor and when we were going through first timothy and and i just said so what do you do with a situation like that where you know, the church is pleased and, and proud of their pastor and they love her and she's doing a good job and God even seems to be blessing and her ministry is growing and, and you know, people are responding. What do you do with that in light of what we read here? And and he basically said, you know, just because God is gracious enough to, to bless doesn't mean that you're still doing the right thing. In other words, like God can God can work, God can bless in spite of our missteps and mistakes, but that doesn't mean that it's what's best or that he, yeah. he wouldn't maybe bless in a different way otherwise. And, uh, and I, I just remember that that was really in my mind, helpful in thinking through that sort of pragmatic argument. Yeah. Just because you see growth doesn't mean, you know, just cause you're, just cause you're doing growth doesn't necessarily mean you're doing everything right. You know, I, one of the passages I struggle with in the Bible is we go to Philippians and Paul says, and says, whether in pretense or in truth, we praise God that the gospel is going forth. Um, no matter what the, the driving factor is behind it. Well, that's hard for me. You know, like, should I celebrate that there's a woman pastor somewhere? You know, should I celebrate, you know, seeing God move and, and people come to know Christ under, under things that I look at and go, that church is messed up. Have you looked at its doctrine? Um, have you looked at what they teach? Have you looked at, and I, I think there's an element that, we have to be very careful in in looking at that and saying just because they're growing doesn't make it right. Just because they're growing doesn't make it biblical. And I think when it comes to women pastors, that's one of the things that makes it makes it hard is that there are people that look at the practicality of it and want to justify the actions behind it. I mean, my, my grandmother was a Methodist. Her whole married life, once she got married, they went to a Methodist church, and the last pastor she had was a female female pastor. And um, so it was so weird for me going to visit her and having to go like attend. I attended twice. One time was Christmas Eve and it was the most like ridiculously terrible sermon. Like it ranked up there in the top three worst sermons I've ever heard in my life. And it wasn't because it was a female teaching. I mean, it was just, it was the worst sermon. Like it was awful. And uh, I could top that. Mm, we'll talk later. This, was, this was pretty bad I, I, I say top three graciously and we'll give you the opportunity now no, I'm just <laughs> um but and then when like i had a really hard time because my grandmother didn't want me to do her funeral because you know she didn't think i could make it through and so i was very bitter a little bit going into the funeral but at the funeral she did the funeral and she gave probably one of the best presentations of the gospel I've ever heard at a funeral. And like, I had to sit there and like check my heart and go like, she's not qualified biblically. She's not like nothing in this is right to me, but she just gave probably the clearest picture of the gospel I've ever heard at a funeral. Um, so I, I think that there's a hard tie between that of we know what is biblical and yet we still see God use, um, sometimes people that are outside of his means to do the work in which he calls them to do. And I think you, you know, 
including the practicality side of it, it is easy for us to think that we can look on something and see blessing and think that we see God, God working and moving in his grace. And let's just be honest, sometimes we can perceive things and understand things wrongly. Sometimes uh, we got to be reminded that God's ways are higher than our ways and that God's understanding and his wisdom is infinitely above and beyond ours. You know, I think about, you know, we, we look at the practicality side of it, and oftentimes I think we minimize the rebellious side of it, the, uh, well, just call it what it is, the, the sinful side of it. Right. If you go to First Samuel chapter 15 and the prophet Samuel comes and he anoints Saul as king over God's people, just as God had, had sent him to do. And uh, Samuel tells Saul, uh, you know, that this is what what God's calling you as king to go and to take the Amalekite people who uh, sought to destroy my people as I brought them out of Egypt. And I want you uh to go and and kill everyone, devote everything to destruction, and spare none of them. And Saul goes and he captures the king alive. He kills all the other people, but then they save the best of the sheep and the cattle uh, and, and best of the plunder. And Samuel rolls up after the Lord's come and spoken to him and says, Saul, what have you done, Right. And Saul says, well, I did what the Lord told me to. I did this, this, and this. And, and the people, they've just saved the best here. In other words, they thought, it by the practicality measure of it, they thought they were doing really well. They thought that perhaps the Lord had blessed in all the riches that they had gained and how happy everyone was and, and, and how successful that they had been. And you, you know what the Lord tells Saul at that moment, he says, uh, you'll not be my chosen king or the chosen king for my people anymore. Matter of fact, that's when Samuel delivers the address when Paul rips his robe. And Samuel says, just as you've torn this robe, so the Lord will rip his kingdom uh, from your hands. And I think there's that, that flip side of it that oftentimes, especially with the progressive view on this thing that, so many people can say, well, look at the practicality matters or the, the way we can measure in practicality how things might be going well and then just miss the complete disobedient and sinful side of the matter, such as seems to have been the case in First Samuel chapter 15. I think one thing that we, we need to acknowledge is that there are people who have really tried to to really think through this and really done a lot of hard work, you know, biblically, um, even if we don't agree with their conclusions and we wouldn't interpret the passages the same way, there are people who, who do try to make strong textual arguments based on linguistic studies that I'm not capable of doing. So I, I don't want to minimize those things, but at the same time, some of it is fairly simplistic and, and, um, selective. Uh, you know, you've heard the, or I don't know if you've heard, I've heard the argument, you know, the, the first, people to proclaim the resurrection were the women who, who found the empty tomb. And so that, that was God's indication that, that he wants women to, to be preachers proclaiming the gospel. Well, yes, everybody's to be 
proclaiming the gospel. Every Christian should be proclaiming the good news of the resurrection. But to just leave it at that and say that settles it just totally discounts everything else that comes in the rest of the New Testament and the things that Paul in particular would write specifically regarding leadership in the church. So I just think we want to take the the whole whole picture of scripture together and not just single out one one passage or another and, and try to say simplistically, well, that, that settles it. You know, that's just not fair. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a great opportunity for study here because, again, you, you read a First Timothy chapter 2 um, or a First Corinthians 14, 34 and following, and, and these are so contrary to, to how we would think or, or what we would expect coming from our cultural perspective that it's a great opportunity for us to investigate, to really ask the question why, which to your point, Chris, is, is not as easy to answer as we wish it was. I mean, to one extent, we could very simply say, well, because the word says so, and that's that. But but to draw out, I mean, what is Paul referring to when he goes back to childbearing? How does this fit into the created order? And what does it speak to about men and women and how God uniquely created them? I think it's an opportunity for us to really say to to what we've all been saying in terms of pragmatism is, are we going to allow the culture to drive our understanding of the word? Are we going to allow the word to help us engage appropriately in our culture? And, and, and so, so it should be a passage that invites us to study and ask difficult questions because all of us coming out of the Western culture in which we live would never have expected this to be the way that Paul responds. And, and it's simply to, to cry patriarchy and dismiss it. Um, and, and then we miss, I think, an important distinction and, and something that we have to learn from the entirety of scripture about how God has created men and women. And I can remember hearing Russell Moore talk about this issue and, and he made the comment, he said that, that you know, one of the hardest things to do if we throw out um, these passages and we hold to an egalitarian position is to then offer any kind of definition of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. And, and, and I think we can see that culturally. And the other thought I had as we were talking is, is our understanding of Scripture and our dismissing of passages never ends here. And so the, the minute we take this passage and dismiss it as from a bygone era that doesn't represent the way we should currently do church, that will not be the last time we do that. And, and historically, we've seen that play out in churches that have accepted um, women in the role of pastor by ignoring or dismissing or reinterpreting this passage to not go with the clearest explanation of what it has to say. So I do think that that it will never be a just only thing, but it's always going to be one amongst many where, where a group has set themselves above scripture and then chooses to kind of accept or reject what they do or don't like or doesn't seem, I guess, to fit into their their current cultural situation. Listening to part one of Should Women Pastor, please check our show notes for additional resources that are referenced either in this episode or in the next one. We hope that you'll be able to join us for the conclusion of this podcast next week. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian baptist network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our anchor website page at anchor.fm slash appalachian dash baptist dash network join us again next monday